Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 145 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Eddie Chambers. Eddie, welcome to the show, my friend. And once again, man, thanks for having me on. You know, I enjoy it. Obviously, um, Ayaz couldn't be with us this week, so Eddie stepped in once again. Um, I think we did a show, Eddie, about, I think it was back in April, we did half of a show. I think you were just on for part two. It was when we did the funny name fighter thing, which was a good laugh. Oh, yeah. It's been quite yeah. a while. Um, what I was going to say, just before we get started, actually, Eddie, there's one thing that I noticed the other day. Did you happen to see this Eddie Hearn zone thing, the uh, the big announcement at, uh, um, you know, in America? I, I seen uh I seen like a replay of it, a little bit of it. I seen a lot of the fighters that were on it. You know what I mean? It was it looked it looked pretty good. Actually, it got some uh, interesting fights and fight well, I mean interesting fighters on there. Did you but see um the... I didn't actually hmm? go ahead. No, did you see the little bust up between Big Baby did Miller I? and, and Did uh... I <laughs> But do you know what really interested me, Eddie? Do you remember at the time? Um you you and Eddie uh, sorry, you and Eddie, you and Anthony had that that mysterious direct message that he did or did not send. Yeah. And yeah. he said, he, he, he called you, um, was it a bitch or a little bitch? Yeah, yeah, he did. And I just found it really weird because apparently he didn't send that, but I I certainly heard him call Big Baby Miller a little bitch the other day, which is very yeah. weird that he used the exact yeah. same word that he didn't use <laughs> to you. Just wanted to point that yeah, out. Yeah, right. But anyway, to avoid any <laughs> any controversy, let's move on now with the review. And we're going to start um, last week. We're going to start with a card that actually happened at the Place Bell in Quebec, Canada. Really weird fight here, actually. Jean Pascal, former world champion, 32-5 with one draw. Um, he actually scored a TKO in round eight against a guy who was only one and oh. Doesn't make much sense at all. Um, the the staggering thing here, Eddie. I'm sure this will shock you as well. Actually, Jean Pascal weighed in at 193 and three quarter pounds. So I don't see him, you know, going back down to light heavyweight at all. He's he's put on a real big amount of weight there. He's practically a cruiserweight and quite a big one. Um, that's it for Canada, though. A bit of a bizarre one there. Moving over now to the Florentine Gardens in California, USA. One fight to mention over here, actually. A guy called Alexei Igorov. He, you know, he has a record of five and zero. Oh. A cruiserweight, he took on Latif Coyote, who was a real good fighter. I think he got to 21 and 0, and then he's hit a bit of a brick wall. He's lost three on the spin. It's now four on the spin. He retired after six rounds on his stall, Latif Coyote. So a brilliant win for this guy who's only five and 0. That's a real scalp on his record after just six fights there. Um, moving over now to the Winner Vegas Casino and Resort in Iowa, USA. 
Uh, one fight to mention over here, really of interest to me anyway, the heavyweight Zalil Zhang, his record now 19-0, and 0, a KO in the very first round against Yugen Bushmuller, who's now 11-3. Um, this guy, Zalil Zhang, I think he's about 35-36 years of age, 6 foot 6 Chinese um, heavyweight, and he was also a real good, you know, a real good amateur. I think he got to the Olympics. I think he was a silver medalist in 2008 or something like that. He really needs to get going now of his career, though. He's been very inactive, I guess, and also, um, you know, he's not really fighting anyone that we've heard of, and he's he's now 19, and oh, he needs to step it up really quickly, especially the age factor there. Um, also, on this bill, we will just mention Jaron Ennis. He moved to 21-0, and a TKO in round three against Armando Alvarez, who was 18-0, and actually, a bit of a um, a bit of a 50-50 on paper. Well, it wasn't in the fight at all. Alvarez was down four times in that third round, and this one was for the vacant WBC United States silver welterweight title. Jaron Ennis now 21-0, like I say. Moving over now to the Dominican Republic. One fight to mention over here, Curtis Stevens, former opponent of Gennady Golovkin. Um, he's on the highlight reel. I remember when Gennady Golovkin knocked him out and um, or certainly knocked him down and his eyes kind of rolled back like, what the hell was that? Anyway, he picked up win number 30. He's got six losses also. It was for the vacant IBA middleweight title. Um, in the other corner, Carlos Cruz, 18-2, and two, now 18-3. and three, A TKO in round four there for Curtis Stevens. Moving over now to Hungary, one weird fight to mention over here, Prince Patel, the very controversial, um, I'm not quite sure what weight he's at now, I usually say the controversial flyweight, he's moved up a couple of weights at least, uh, he moved to 16-0 and actually, he's got one draw as well, it was a win against a guy called Julius Kisarawi, I think it was a TKO I believe in the fifth round, I'm not 100% sure on that, but he certainly won by stoppage, I just can't really remember the round, this guy had a record of 29-5 and with one draw, a bit of a padded record but certainly a step up compared to the other opponents that Prince Patel has took on so he's successfully moved to 16 and 0 with one draw whether you like it or not he's you know he's doing pretty good to be honest fighting very active as well um, and fighting very often I should say Moving over now, though, to Russia at the Olympiski in Moscow. This was the big bill of last weekend, the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Final. Let's start with the undercard, though. We had Sergei Vorobiev. Now, this guy was 6-0. He was fighting for the vacant Russian Super Welterweight title. He took on a guy called Konstantin Ponomarev, who had a record of 34-0, but it was tragically, tragically padded. And I was saying for ages, this guy's 30. 4 and 0, he needs to fight someone. We don't recognize a single name on his resume. He took on a guy here, like I say, who was 6 and 0, and he lost his O here. He lost his O after 34 straight wins. A split decision win, though, very close, over 10 rounds in favor of Sergei Vorobiev. He's now 7 and 0, and Konstantin Ponomarev 34 and 1. I wonder where he goes from here. And this one, quite a low level fight, really, for the Russian title. I'm not quite sure how hard that is to win, but it's not like a you know a, a belt that's obviously a european style belt or something even bigger than than that perhaps a continental kind of belt intercontinental whatever it wasn't on that level so quite a low level to lose your row out there for a guy that's 34 and 0 um most world champions don't get to 34 and 0 really um Denis Shafikov moved to win number 40. He's got four losses and one draw. It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against John Gamino, who's now 17 and 11 with one draw. 
Um, also on the bill, we had Maris Breedis, his return to the ring here. He didn't really look overly impressive, to be honest. The unanimous decision over 10 rounds, he pretty much won every round. He moved to 24-1. and one. Um, The guy in the other corner jumped in at very, very late notice. I think he only had about 48 to 72 hours, something like that. Brandon Delorier, his name was, 11-2 now with one draw. Um, I don't think he'd been stopped in his one loss, and he wasn't stopped here, but very lackluster from Maris Breedis. He lacked a lot of, um, uh, I want to say imagination to be honest um or creativity because he just didn't have nothing Breedis was just you know looking very one-dimensional looking for the big shot it never came and to be honest you know he 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 really had a chance I thought he was going to probably completely bowl this guy out in a couple of rounds and look really explosive and then he'd be you know screaming for a rematch with Usyk or whatever but it just didn't do that for me so you know it, it wasn't very impressive from him there um also, this this guy that he fought, I should mention, even though he'd had, I think it's 11 wins, um, you know, he only had one knockout to his name, so he didn't even have any power to trouble Breedis, but, you know, Breedis just couldn't really get it going. Moving up the bill once again, Cecilia Bracus. she moved to 34-0, and she successfully defended... Boy, oh boy, her IBF, IBO, WBA, WBC, and WBO world female welterweight titles against the previously undefeated Ina Segaidakovskaya, who was 7-0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds there. Cecilia Brackers dominated, to be honest, um, pretty easily over the 10. Very good fighter, Cecilia Brackers. Um, moving up the bill once again, Fedor Chudinov. He picked up win number 18. He's got two losses. It was a split decision over 12 rounds against Najib Mohamedi, the former foe of Sergei Kovalev. His record now 40-6. and six. It was for the WBA International Super Middleweight title. Now, what I will say about this, Mohamedi was furious with the scorecards. He didn't leave the ring afterwards for about 10 minutes. They were trying to get him out of the ring. He wasn't having it. Chudinov, to be fair to him, he was shocked when he got announced as the winner. Nobody agreed with those cards, including Chudinov. Um, you know, back in the studio doing the the post-fight analysis in the studio, we had former freeweight world champion Duke McKenzie and, of course, um, Prince Nassim Hamed. He really needs no introduction. Um, they were they were furious in the studio. They were saying it was possibly one of the worst decisions they've ever seen in boxing. But I tell you what, to be fair to Fedor Chudinov, I think he you know he deserves a bit of luck. Really, he had an awful decision against him in favour of Felix Sturm a couple of years back, and that you know that meant he lost his world title. And when he did get a crack again after being a little bit inactive, he took on George Groves and he started well, but then it all just unravelled very quickly for him. So, so you know he's really overdue some good luck. So. It wasn't very fair, to be honest, but, you know, he's uh, he's been on the bad end of decisions before, and he was on the right end here. But, yeah, that's it for that one. That's the undercard there. Moving up to the main event, Murat Gassiev, 26-0, took on Alexander Usyk, 14-0. This one, of course, was the, uh, the undisputed... Um, fight at Cruiserweight. It was for all four trinkets, the IBF, WBA, Super, WBC, and WBO world titles. Now, we were saying going into this fight, pretty much everybody said it was a real 50-50, and it was. We we really thought that Gassiev could really um, put something on Usyk and show us some uncomfortability, which we haven't seen. I might have invented that word, uncomfortability, but I'm going to stick it in there. Alexander Usyk, most people had him 
to win the fight before the fight. I thought you'd win on points. Um, I think the listeners and I as also went with that. So we all thought Usyk would win on points. That is what ultimately happened. But I cannot believe what we saw. I mean, it was such pure dominance. Um, I felt that in the first round, no one really landed any telling shots, to be honest. There was a lot of respect being shown from both guys. Usyk probably edged that, that round on work rate and sharpness, really, but nothing else. Um, Usyk in the second round certainly won that round. Anthony Agogo on the commentary highlighted the smartness with Usyk's lead hand. He was mixing it up with arm punches, really. Uppercuts, hooks and jabs with that lead right hand from the southpaw stance. Nothing really telling landed, but just scoring shots nonetheless. And he wasn't planting his feet at all, Usyk. So he was able to kind of bounce around on his toes. So if Gassiev did try and counter him, he could quickly move out the way. And Gassiev already in that second round for me was looking a little bit pedestrian, only really throwing his left hand with intent. And he was he was looking a little bit one-dimensional straight away in that second round. I thought that things would change, but they didn't really. Um, the third round I thought was was a pretty close-ish round. I think Usyk was doing a lot of moving in that round, boxing off the back foot. Gassiev landed a couple of decent shots. He was cutting off the ring on Usyk, but I still felt that Usyk grabbed that round there. In the fourth round, Usyk's movement, his punch output and punch variation was perfect. Gassiev was missing a lot. Um, in the final few seconds of that fourth round, though Gassiev landed a very uh, a very smart and very big right hand and Usyk kind of held on and spun Gassiev round when the referee um, jumped in and, and broke him up it you know it was the end of the round so Usyk kind of I still think he won the round, even though he took a big shot, you know, in the last couple of seconds, and he showed some craftiness to get out of that round unscathed. Really, I think he was um, he was a little bit unsteady for a second or two there. But Gassiev in the fifth came out, and he had a fairly good round. It was competitive, but I still think that Usyk just edged it. I mean, some of these rounds were quite competitive, but I think you'd have to give it to Usyk. That seemed to be the case on many of these rounds here. And at the end of that round, Abel Sanchez was actually trying to g Gassiev up and he was actually saying do you want me to stop the fight that was in the fifth round in the sixth round Usyk was boxing a punch perfect fight at this point he'd literally won everything his footwork was subliminal once again at the end of the round Abel Sanchez asked Gassiev again do you want me to stop the fight and it was bad signs for team Gassiev at that point halfway through the fight into the seventh round now everything was just flowing perfectly for Usyk he was enjoying himself in there he looked so comfortable he was schooling an incredible fighter in Gassiev it was another round for Usyk in the seventh in the eighth it was more of the same from Usyk he's so well conditioned his hand speed his punch output and his movement are just out of this world he would not let Gassiev get into any kind of groove Usyk was tripling up with a jab all while circling around Gassiev's frame using his great feet it was unbelievable dominance at that point in the ninth round more of the same really from Usyk um I've said it all I mean he just didn't do anything wrong he barely made any mistakes the whole fight he was he was just perfect the performance was perfect it was another Usyk round and Abel Sanchez even said to Gassiev that he would need some knockdowns to win the fight at that point that was at the end of the ninth in my opinion he needed a knockout forget about a couple of knockdowns no chance um in the 10th round Gassiev was was still just throwing singular you know singular shots he he didn't throw a jab all night 
Uh, he looked very one-dimensional once again. Usyk really landed some beautiful shots in that 10th round, and I had it 10 rounds to zero after 10. Um, Gassiev's eye was also showing some bruising at the end of that 10th round. In the 11th round, Usyk was dancing around Gassiev. Beautiful boxing display. He stood and traded for a few moments in the 11th, and he, he got the better of those exchanges as well. So it was another Usyk round for me. And in the 12th, Usyk actually upped the pace and finished very strongly. Gassiev wasn't able to keep up with him. The pair embraced when the bell ended, but it just wasn't competitive on my card at all. At 120-108, a complete shutout, I had it. And it'll be interesting to see what Gassiev actually looks like in his next fight because this was the kind of fight where I think it's a little bit soul-destroying. He just couldn't get anything going at all. I know that U6 are an unbelievably elite fighter, but he was just so badly playing second fiddle that I don't know... I mean, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's easier. Eddie, I'm sure you agree with me here, actually. Sometimes, it sounds mad to say it, but you can get knocked out in a fight and, you know, it doesn't destroy you. But you can you can be in a fight and you can get completely, completely schooled and it can actually hurt you more mentally. Do you know what I'm saying? I agree 100%. And in fact, I'm pretty sure... And actually, you can get worse, you can get more damage or worse damage in a situation like that where you get... Where you're going, you know, where a fight's ongoing and you're constantly getting punched, and, and you know, not only does your pride get hurt and your confidence get hurt, but your body also takes a beating. So, you know, I mean, if you get knocked out with one punch, that's the end of it. You know what I mean? That would obviously suck if you go all those twelve rounds and get hit in the last few seconds like I did, and then get knocked out on top of it. Yes, that would be that would probably be a little worse. But in this case, his confidence could be shot. I mean, I don't know him. I don't know. I don't really know him. Uh, personally, but um, from a fight like that, your shot, your confidence can easily be shot. And it's just, I would hate to see something like that come from a fighter uh, of his magnitude. But man, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a tough thing to deal with those kinds of losses. Absolutely, for sure. But moving over now to the Workpoint Studio in a place called Bang Fun in Thailand. Yes. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about here the return, the homecoming of Wisaksil Wangek, also known as um, Sirasaket Sorungvasai, the man that beat Chocolatito twice in a row. He returned to Thailand the first time since beating Chocolatito and really, you know, injecting himself, if you like, into the top of the pound for pound listings. Um, he returned to the ring, like I say, and it was his fifty first fight as a pro. He's also known on this show as the Rodent Eater. Eddie, I'm, I'm not just being funny here. He, 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 there's many pictures on, on Google of him tucking into a nice, huge rat. He likes to do that. Um, he picked up win number 51. It was a TKO in the very first round against Young Gil Bay, who was 28-6 and six with two draws. A relatively easy win there for Wissaxil Wangek. That's win number 46 for him. He's got four losses and, and one draw. So, um, yeah, good to see him back, but he wasn't back for long. A first-round knockout. Moving over now, though, to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Nothing on the... Un well, one fight on the undercard to mention, actually. Friend of the show, he was on a couple of weeks ago. Blair Cobbs, he picked up win number nine. He's got zero losses and one draw. He's still undefeated. He got a TKO in the second round against Emmanuel Valadez, who's now 5-5. Five and five. But Blair Cobbs was out, I think it was I think it was about two or three weeks ago. So he's got, he's got two fights there 
pretty much back to back now. Um, brilliant stuff there for Blair Cobbs. All the very best to that young fighter there. But the main event here, um, we have Jaime Mungia, 29-0 and 0 when he got in the ring. He took on UK's very own Liam Smith, 26-1 and 1 with one draw. That one loss coming to Canelo, no shame in that. Liam Smith was out there trying to win back his old world title. It was, of course, the WBO World Super Welterweight title. Now, this fight here, I actually... Um, I actually found this a very interesting and intriguing fight. I felt that Smith actually won the first three rounds, but I want to get down to the to the round-by-round round analysis here. Um, Smith, in the first round, I felt that he was countering very well. He was going to the body. He was going to the head very smartly. He was blocking most of Mungia's attacks at that point, and I actually gave Smith that first round, like I say. It was a close round, don't get me wrong, but I think he started well, and Mungia kind of finished well, but I still felt that Liam Smith did enough to win that round. In the second round, the commentators didn't score it a Smith round, but I thought he landed the cleaner shots in that round. Perhaps not the heavier shots, but certainly the cleaner ones repeatedly, so so for me, again, it was a competitive round, but I felt that Smith edged that one. And it was funny because Smith actually came on strong in the later part of the round, whereas Mungia started well. So it was a little bit of a kind of opposite as what the first round was. But for me, Smith won both those uh, those first two rounds there. In the third round, Smith certainly won that round for me. It was the most clearest round to score at that point. It wasn't very competitive, to be honest, certainly compared to the first two rounds. Munguia showed some naive boxing, to be honest. You know, sloppy footwork. He was throwing up a cuts from out of range. He was constantly trying to land the one-two. And on the inside, Smith was the much smarter fighter. Munguia you know, he's nowhere near the finished article at this point. He's only 21, but for me, he, you know, he was making so many mistakes. And against a bigger puncher and a smarter boxer, like a Gennady Golovkin, that fight was mentioned at one point, or like a um, like a Canelo, I'd, I'd fear for Mungia, to be honest. Um, I think that Mungia can be timed and countered and probably knocked out. But, you know, I'm not taking anything away from him. What he's achieved at just 21 years of age is just incredible. In the fourth round, Mungia fought much better. I felt that he found his rhythm there and he was starting to open up. He started dominating, really. He certainly won that fourth round. Um... In the fifth round, Mungia came out with intent. He tried his best to stop Liam Smith, to be honest. It was a, it was a big round for, for Mungia that fifth round. I wasn't sure if the attack from Mungia would be a turning point in the fight, though. I wasn't sure if he was going to perhaps use up too much energy or maybe, you know, put a bit of a hurt on Smith and perhaps take some of what Smith had to offer away. It was it was. I was thinking, could it could it be an interesting turning point here? But it, it wasn't really. In the sixth round, Mungia started well, but Smith came back with, with sn- sneaky and clean shots himself. And with 30 seconds to go, though, Smith actually got dropped by a left hook to the temple, which staggered him backwards, and he lost his footing. So a 10-8 round there. Um, in the seventh round, Smith had to weather a bit of a storm, to be honest. Mungia was going in for the kill. It was getting to that time where Smith needed to find something big. And Mungia's gas tank seemed to be very good at that point, but I was, you know, we were all, all all the people that wanted Smith to win, we were all hoping that Mungia would run out of steam towards the end of the fight. In the eighth round, Smith found a little bit of a second wind himself. Mungia didn't do too much in that round, and he came alive in, in probably like the last 30 seconds, but he certainly didn't do enough to win that round. Joe Gallagher's corner advice was also on point. Um, Mungia had 
for me at that point I noticed he had a very similar style to Jeff Horn aside from the fact he's you know he's a much bigger puncher he's a much bigger guy and he certainly has got a much better engine but certainly the way he you know the kind of stance and the feet it, it really was a little bit Jeff Horn like in the ninth round it was a brilliant brilliant round it certainly was round of the fight round of the night probably round of the month to be honest Mungia won it but Liam showed so much character and evasiveness at times um, you know Smith came back with his own shots but Mungia was finding a home for his uppercut and he landed some sickening body shots in that round but it was a bit of a war to be honest that ninth round wicked round in the tenth once again Mungia just you know he just had more snap in his punches at this stage he was the fresher of the two and he just had more in the tank he dominated that round in the 11th it was another decent round very competitive but you'd probably have to edge it to Mungia and in the 12th and final round it was a very good competitive round but Mungia won it for me um the scorecard the way I had it was 111 to 116 in favor of Mungia um that was the first time by the way Mungia had actually gone 12 rounds so that was a, a you know a box ticked on his behalf there um, and I also picked Mungia to win on points last week on the Prediction League, which I thought was quite ballsy of me. And I do just want to say that for all my bad luck, I think for the last two weeks in a row now, I think it's two weeks in a row, I've picked every, every single thing I've picked has actually gone true. So I'm, I'm catching up slowly but surely on the Prediction League. Um, just to, to, to read out some of the predictions, I have... Yeah, I had Usyk on points and Mungia on points, so I gained two points. Ayaz had Usyk on points and Mungia by knockout, so he only gains one point. And the listeners actually had Usyk on points and Smith by knockout, so the listeners gain a point there. Two for me, one for Ayaz, one for the listeners, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think Mungia's, like I say, nowhere near the finished article. He's going to get better and better, but certainly at this point, some of the other guys, I think like a Charlo... I think I'd probably stay away from him, to be honest, if I was Mungia. And I think the Jarrett Hurd fight, stylistically, would be a real good fight, by the way. So, if I was those guys, Charlo and um, and um, Jarrett Hurd, I'd probably run towards that fight. But if I was Golden Boy and Jamie Mungia, I'd try and steer away from that for the time being until he improves a little bit. Moving over now, though, to the final bill to mention of the reviewing. This one happened at the FedEx Forum in Memphis, Tennessee, USA. Top of the bill here, just one fight really to mention. Vivian Harris, 32-12 and 12 with two draws, former world champion. His best days are well and truly behind him. He fought for the vacant American Boxing Federation Continental America's Super Welterweight title. I said all that without taking a breath. It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against the former world champion Demarcus Chop Chop Cawley. His record now 51 wins, 31 losses and one draw. He's certainly gone on too long for me. Um, I know that Chop Chop Cawley wasn't happy after the fight. He said that the judges don't understand boxing if they gave the, you know, the verdict to Vivian Harris. But it was a unanimous decision over 12, like I say. Demarcus Cawley actually came out to the ring with with well he walked to the well he didn't actually walk to the ring he he had one huge what do you call it like a uh, the, the what's the, what's the, what's that bar called Eddie that you that you bench press what do they actually call that that big bar with the weights on the end what's it called is it a big bar with the weight the weights on it yeah you know like when you're gonna bench press and you've got that it's not it's not dumbbells because they're the they're the things that you pick up in oh, each hand the, um, uh, the straight bar is what we call it okay well that's uh, yeah, let's let's call it a straight bar. Well, whatever it was, he came out with two of those. One, 
he had his he had his hands round, and the other he had his 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 feet round, and he basically kind of rode the only the only the only way to describe it he rode his way to the to the ring like he was kind of like rolling on on these it was weird. <laughs> That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I you know, would like, love to see that. Yeah, I'll have to send you the clip, but he kind of like, it was so weird. I can't even explain what he did, but yeah, he, he came into the ring, um, certainly uh, very spectacularly to say the least, and he went out <laughs> He went out with another loss, unfortunately. Friend of the show, Chop Chop Corley, he was on once before talking about that, that infamous Mayweather fight. Um, on the undercard, I will just mention there was a guy, Eddie, called um, he's a heavyweight journeyman called Grover Young. His record 12 wins, 25 losses and 3 draws. I remember Malik Scott knocked him out actually. And he knocked out a undefeated prospect called Javonta Charles, who was actually 4-0 looking to move to 5-0, but he got TKO'd in the 4th and final round against the journeyman Grover Young so uh, that's a real upset there but yeah, that's really it for the reviewing, just before we wrap up part 1 there's one last thing to do, that of course is to welcome guest number 1 Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated former Central Area, former British, former WBO European champion and the current reigning WBO Intercontinental champion. I hope I've got all that right. Of course, it's Mr. Jack Catterall. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thank you for having me, Joey. Thank you. It's my pleasure, my friend. So, Jack, you're you're 22 and 0 now. You've only just turned 25 years of age. Still so young. Um, you know, your last few fights have all been real, real brilliant wins. You've actually been very active as well, to be honest. In the last 15 months, you fought five times. One of those fights, like I say, was for the British title against Tyrone Nurse. You were able to outpoint him over 12 rounds. A lot of people talk about how tricky Tyrone is. Would that be your toughest fight to date thus far, Jack? I've had quite a few tough fights, but I've never been in any fights where I felt uh, under too much pressure in the fight. Uh, although Tyrone was very tricky, uh, it's a slick fight, it's a very slippery, so I have to be certain of what I've been doing in training to, to get it correct on fight night to get the win. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And like I say, I should reiterate there, the five fights in 15 months have been Martin Geffen in April 2017, Tyrone Nurse, like I say, in October 2017, and three fights this year already. Not many people managed to stop Kevin McCauley. You did that. Christopher Sabaya, you know, he seemed like he didn't fancy it at all. And then most recently, you took out Tyrone McKenna. Uh, you took his O. Oh, you know, the fight happened in his backyard. You dropped him twice along the way to a points win. Just quickly, Jack, you were really annoyed with Christopher Sabaya. Most boxers love to get a first round knockout. You weren't too pleased. Yeah, it was it was quite frustrating really, obviously. After the, the nurse fight, I had a change of training team, so <clears throat> now training with Jamie Moore. Uh, we had the Kevin McCauley fight, which I wanted to slip under the radar really. Uh, I believe I am ready for, for bigger and better fights, and I certainly did at the time, so it was kind of just a fight to get to get back in the mix and then uh, they said that I'd get an opportunity fight at Ellen Road which I was over the moon with uh, and it was quite frustrating leading up to the fight there was there was about three opponent changes uh, from Orthodox to Southpaw and, uh, which, which was a little bit frustrating but we stayed professional and they managed to to get us the fight with Sabir but I mean it was I enjoyed every part of the build-up to the fight, apart from the fight itself. I mean, <clears throat> fighting at a stadium, walking to the ring, like 20,000 people there, 
And I just wanted to put on a good fight for everybody that had been travelling. Then for him to like quit after the first round, it was quite disappointing for me. Yeah, for sure. I understand that completely. Um, let's talk about your most recent win, obviously, Jack. It was in Belfast, like I say, against Tyrone McKenna in his backyard. He's a tall, awkward southpaw. You're a southpaw too. There's an old saying in boxing that two southpaws fighting each other usually makes for a boring fight. Not at all in this instance. Walk us through it, please, Jack. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, again, that was a brilliant fight. I think. I think that was the most enjoyable fight I've had. Again. I felt like I controlled the fight and I felt like, uh, yeah, I got caught with a few punches, which obviously you got, you're in the ring, you're going to get hit. But I felt comfortable in the fight and I maybe switched off a little bit. But the whole being in Belfast for the whole week and the way we got treated was, was brilliant. And then to, to get a fight with Tyrone, who I know is not shy to come and have a fight with you, I think we put on a, a good fight for the fans. Yeah, you certainly did. Obviously, there was quite a big difference in height. Um, you didn't really, you didn't really, you know, make it too much of an issue. To be honest, you were able to get up close to him. Um, I think he he does most of his best work up close, really. But it really come together. So a brilliant win for you there, Jack. Um, I want to ask you, really, are you happy with the way things are so far in your career? You know, in, in terms of progression and stuff like that at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I think everything for a reason and. Uh... I could say I wish this had happened at a box game. That would have been nice. But at the same time, uh, you've got to be happy with what you've got. And I'm very happy. I've had a good career. I've always, uh, I've always been active. I've never been too long without fights. I've no injuries. I've uh, been involved in some good fights. And I just feel like I'm getting better all the time. So I know that uh, over the next two, three years, I'm building towards them big, big fights. And it probably drives you a little bit mad now because everyone likes to bring this up. But obviously, you know, the fact that you've sparred Floyd Mayweather, the, the, the fact that you've, you've sparred Canelo as well. Um, I must ask you, Jack, how did these big opportunities arise? Because at the time, I think you were, what were you, about 20 years old or something at the time? Yeah, it must have been uh, 20, 21 at the time. Uh, but it was basically the manager I had in the past. Uh, he knew somebody from over there. The deal was we get a flight out if we get picked, we'll stay if not, get a flight back home. And I uh, got picked for the spire and we ended up being out there for for quite a few weeks, which for me was that early on in my career. Uh, it probably didn't register at the time, but now I can look back. And again, it's another one for the scrapbook, being being able to travel to America and spar one of the all-time, or two of the all-time greats. Uh, and it was just a massive experience for me being in them gyms, uh, nobody knowing who I was. They probably still wouldn't know who I was if I went back now, but uh, <laughs> from going sparring them fighters and then getting back home and preparing for my own fights, the, the confidence that it gave me was massive. And Jack, we talk about the Canelo spar, we talk about the Floyd Mayweather spar. Is there is there any other guys that you know that you sparred with that are very big names also that perhaps not everyone knows about? I've sparred a, a lot of fighters uh, earlier on in my career. I found myself travelling about more. Uh, Again, I've just done in Britain. I sparred Amir Khan for two of his fights. Uh, sparred Kel Brook. So, I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to share a ring with a lot of very good fighters. I've got to ask you this, Jack. Who did you find in all your spars? Who would you say is the most complete fighter that you've come up against? Quite funny, really, because when I when I sparred Floyd, I thought I thought he'd be the most difficult fighter. Uh, his defence, his timing, and everything was was perfect, I guess, but I felt like I could stand and 
spar and have a fight with him where I went to spar Canelo and I felt obviously I'm a light welterweight. He fights at a lot higher weight than me, but I did feel like maybe that was the only difference. Obviously, he's a tremendous boxer, but he was he felt massive, and I think there was a lot of respect there from his camp because when I was there sparring, I, I kind of felt like if he wanted to switch it on and have, have done with me, he could probably have done that, but they obviously needed the sparring to work on certain things for their fight, so uh, it's, it's hard to say really, but again, I think Canelo's probably the one. And just in a nutshell, I don't want to go off, off topic too much here, but I, I had no idea that you'd spar both Amir and Kel. I mean, it's a fight that we've all wanted to see for years and years <laughs> now. It may never happen. Um, after sharing the ring with both of them, Jack, who would you say, um, you know, if they were to fight, would come out the victor there? I'd have to go for, for Kel Brook. Uh, again, I've got a lot of respect for, for all fighters, and I've known Amir a long time. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to spar them both, but... I think from from my experience sharing the ring with him, uh, Kel Brook is, is a more complete fighter than Amir Khan. Yeah, fair point, fair point. We, we still all want to see that fight. Hopefully it will happen. Um, I must also bring up the fact, like you say, you've, you've recently linked up with Jamie Moore. He's your current trainer. His gym right now must be absolutely buzzing. Of course, Rocky Fielding winning a world title the other week. Carl Frampton following a perfect game plan against Nonito Donaire. Martin Murray just picked up the WBC silver. Tommy Coyle knocking out Sean Mashadod. A great place to be at the moment, Jack. Oh, the gym's absolutely buzzing. I've never... I didn't realise I could enjoy boxing this much before I joined the stable. Uh... Don't get me wrong, I've had uh, like great times in boxing over the last couple of years, but uh, certainly day-to-day wise now going to the gym, being around a lot of fighters, happy fighters, and everybody's pushing each other. That There's a real good vibe in the gym, and I think everybody's hungry to, to keep pushing on. And of course, you were linked with the Terry Flanagan fight for quite a while. When he got defrocked, well not defrocked, but when he lost... You know his opportunity to win the vacant title against Maurice Hooker. Um, we were all very surprised. Does that kind of make the Flanagan fight dead in the water now for you? Certainly no. Obviously, we've seen that he's just been announced in the World Boxing Super Series, so yeah, uh, he'll have to see how he gets on in the competition. So right now, our careers are on on two different paths, but uh, you can never rule out a fight in the future. And were you a little bit? perhaps annoyed that you wasn't approached for the World Boxing Super Series, Jack? Because I think you'd have been a brilliant addition in there. And like I say, everyone just wants to get in. And, you know, with your with your experience, with your undefeated record, with your young age, I think you'd have added a bit of spice to that tournament, really. Yeah, I think every fighter at the moment, that, that's the competition to be in for the Box for the Alley Trophy. Uh, it's a great tournament. And obviously, when, when they announced there was doing one in my weight category, I'd spoke to my managers and said, if there is an opportunity, you don't have to ask me twice. So, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. But again, uh, everything for a reason and won't let it bother me. I've, I've got a fight scheduled. Hopefully, it'll be announced soon for early October, late September. So, I mean, that's where I'll put all my energy into that. And the last question on the World Boxing Super Series. Obviously, there's, you know, there's many good fighters in that tournament. Just at this stage, Jack, have you got any anyone that you would kind of tip to win it at the moment? Who would you favour to come out victorious? Yeah, fancy uh, Josh Taylor to probably to do very well in the tournament, probably win it. Uh, like I said, I've sparred Terry, 
I've never sparred Josh. Obviously, I've seen his fights. Uh, I've sparred Relic. Uh, I've had a watch of the other fighters, but I do fancy. I think Josh has had a great momentum of fights, and I think he's uh, his boxing levels right up there. So I fancy him to uh, to do very well. Now it's been no secret that Frank Warren, your promoter, has been pushing, you know, for this for this uh, O'Hara Davies fight for you. Obviously, you're saying that you've you've got something scheduled soon. I know that you can't confirm whether it'll be him or not. Um, you know, you're talking about a rough date for for late September, early October. Did you say, Jack? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, managers have been in touch, and uh, that's the date I'm working towards. I'll be ready come September, October to fight. So uh, hopefully, in the coming week now they get closer to making an announcement on that. I want to ask you also, you know, is, is O'Hara the guy that's at the top of your sort of want list? Is he the guy out there, you know, amongst all the others that you want to fight most at this stage? Uh, it's not that I want to fight him the most, though he's on my want list. I think, for me, it's about being, being involved in good fights, and obviously that fight generates a lot of interest, uh, whether it's because he's, he's disliked so much. I think that might be it, but... Uh, I know that a lot of people have been calling to see that fight. Uh, for me, ho- hopefully the fight the fight can get made. Uh, be a good fight. And coming down to the last couple of questions now, Jack. Just before we let you go, if that fight should happen, how does that fight unfold? Like every other fight, I'm going to come out victorious. I'll go in there have a game plan, uh, and I believe I've got the tools to beat him. Uh, I've watched his previous fights. Uh, I don't think he's a tremendous boxer. He's obviously he's got a very long reach and he's produced a few nice knockouts, but I don't think he's got what it takes. Fair enough, fair enough. And just before I let you go, Jack, I really wanted to give you an opportunity um, just to say anything you like, really, just to get anything off your chest. If there's something I haven't asked you, anything at all, just freestyle. Take it away. Say whatever you like, my friend. No, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to, to bring us on the podcast and... Uh, that's it really, I'm, I'm happy, I'm training hard and hopefully come September, October I'll be back in the ring ready to put on a good fight for everybody, that's it. No problem, but listen Jack, it's been my pleasure interviewing you this week sir, thank you so much for your time, it's brilliant to have you on the show, I'll be looking out for an announcement soon for your next fight and we'll certainly catch up sometime in the near future. Joey, it's a pleasure, thank you very much and catch up soon. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Usually this is the part where Ayaz would reel off all the latest news. Well, um, he sent me some of the latest news, but I've got a feeling that by the time the show goes out, there might be a few bits of, you know, a few little changes here and there. So we're going to mention some news now, but if something else breaks by the time that we finish wrapping up the show, then we'll we'll talk about a few bits of news um you know, at the very end when I'm signing off. So um, what we do have for you at this at this stage anyway is Tony Yoka, the heavyweight Olympic gold medalist 2016. He has been banned from boxing in his home nation of France for a year. Um, that is because he's missed three doping tests in a 12-month period. He's been missing, well, not misinforming, but he hasn't been informing the doping agency of his whereabouts. And three times they've come to test him, and he hasn't been there, and he hasn't followed up with them to, to you know, to 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 do a test. So there, there's certainly something fishy going on there. But they've decided to ban him from boxing in France. Um, Sean Porter versus Danny Garcia. That's going to be happening officially now on September the 8th. That one's going to be for the WBC welterweight title, the title that Keith Thurman, I, I think, either 
dropped or got stripped of, but it doesn't really matter. That's going to be happening at the Barclays Center in New York. Um, Brandon Cook, the fighter that was going to be coming over and fighting Kell Brook on the fight card this weekend on the undercard of um, Dillian White and Joseph Parker. Brandon Cook was supposed to be fighting Kell Brook. Kell Brook pulled out, of course. We all know that. It's old news now. He pulled out with an injury. And then in stepped Sam Eggington, who actually, unbelievably, about a day or two ago or or, or free perhaps, he's pulled out with an injury. So, unbelievably, Brandon Cook, he was supposed to take on two guys. Both of them have had to pull out with injuries. So, no fight, unfortunately, for Brandon Cook. I feel very sorry for him. But in steps another fight that's took the place of that one. Um, we have the undefeated Nick Webb taking on a friend of yours, actually, Eddie, Dave Allen. Dave Allen has said that this could potentially be his last fight as a professional. So, um, interesting stuff. We'll get onto that fight a little bit later in the preview in, in, in a few moments' time. Also, Raymundo Beltran versus Jose Pedraza. That has been finalized for Ray Beltran's WBO world title. That's going to be happening on August the 25th. On the undercard, Isaac Dogbay will be defending his belt when he takes on Hidenori Otaki. That one, of course, for his WBO um, world title, Isaac Dogbase, a friend of the show also, who was on a few weeks ago. Um, the, the, the recent news also, Joe Joyce, um, his, his trainer, Ishmael Salas, has decided to move to Qatar, so Joe Joyce doesn't have a trainer right now, but news has broke that he's actually moved, um, just temporarily, he's moved to Big Bear with Abel Sanchez for a trial period to see how they get on and perhaps that could be his new trainer. It's a big thing to move halfway across the world, more than halfway across the world um, from the UK, from London to to Big Bear, California. Um, so yeah, all the very best to Joe Joyce. Whatever he does, I hope he makes the right decision. There's also something that we'll probably mention a little bit later on in the show because at the moment it's still ongoing. Um, also, I will mention the World Boxing Super Series Season 2 Bantamweight and Super Lightweight draws are as follows. We're going to start with the... Let's start with the bantamweights. Um, we have the first fight to mention. Ryan Burnett, he takes on Nonito Donaire. Um, I'd, I'd probably have to favour Burnett at this at this period of time, of course. Nonito Donaire, I don't even know how he's going to make the weight, to be honest. It's been a long, long time since he made bantamweight. And Ryan Burnett holding two of the world titles, the major four world titles. He holds two of them, of course. So um, he was actually the number one seeded guy here. Also, Zolani Tete takes on Mikhail Aloyan, who is a Russian amateur standout. Only had a few fights as a professional, but that's going to be a decent fight. Fight. The winner of that, Zelani Tete and Mikhail Aloyan, they fight the winner of Ryan Burnett and Nanito Donaire. And then on the other side, Naoya Inoue, the absolute beast from from Japan, the one who knocked out Jamie McDonald in the first round a few a few months back. He takes on Juan Carlos Payano, and the winner of that fight takes on the winner of Emmanuel Rodriguez, the one that put on a brilliant display against Paul Butler when he won the title. Uh, he takes on Jason Maloney, who is the undefeated guy from Australia. So the winner of that takes on the winner of Inoue and Payano. So a good tournament there for the bantamweights. But moving over to the super lightweight side where things are very interesting for me anyway I like this one much better we have Regis Progre from New Orleans USA he's picked to fight 
Um, Terry Flanagan, I text Regis Progray straight away because I was very surprised when I saw him pick Terry Flanagan. And I actually said, why did you pick Flanagan? I didn't think you'd seen any footage of him. And he turned around and said, I haven't seen much of him. So God knows why he picked him, but that'd be a great fight. A lot of people actually picking Terry Flanagan to win that fight despite losing very recently, or most recently, to um, Maurice Hooker when he lost his O and lost his chance to become the world champion. Um, Josh Taylor will be taking on the USA's undefeated Ryan Martin. That's a cracking fight there. Uh, Kirill Relic puts his world title on the line against Edward Trojanovsky, the former holder of a world title, the one who got knocked out by Julius Indongo. And also Ivan Baranchik, that's the guy who's got those crazy ring walks. He walked to the ring with handcuffs behind his back when the police were marching him to the ring. He also walked to the ring, um, I think... In, in some kind, I think it was on a motorbike or something like that, and then he walked to the ring dressed up as a big cuddly bear. Anyway, he takes on Anthony Yidget, the undefeated Swedish fighter, who's actually a real good fighter, a guy that was um, in a couple of decent fights against Josh Taylor in the amateurs, so that should be a decent one. Anyway, that's all the World Boxing Super Series news, that's all the news. If anything changes or if anything else happens before the time the show goes out, hopefully we'll we'll get it on the, the end of the show, like I say. Um... Moving over now to the preview, and we're going to start in a place called the Bolton White's Hotel in Bolton. You've guessed it. United Kingdom, one or two fights to mention over here. We have Jazza Dickens, 23-3. and three. His opponent yet to be announced. And the big man, David Price, 22-5. and five. His opponent yet to be announced. That's an MTK Global show there. Moving over now to the Rainton Meadows Arena in Tynan Ware, United Kingdom. Top of the bill, Thomas Patrick Wald, 23-0. and 0. He fights for the vacant IBF European Super Bantamweight title against Alvaro Rodriguez who's 8-1 with one draw. Thomas Patrick Ward, a young fighter, I think he's only 24 or 25. He's 23-0 and and a real good fighter. He's beaten some good guys but I do want to see him step it up. Dave Allen was supposed to be fighting on this card. That was what he was penciled in for but of course he's, he's pulled out of this one. He's taken on Nick Webb We'll we'll get on that in just a second. Moving over now to the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, USA. I'm so gutted. I'm really gutted about this one because Box Nation, I'd expect to have picked this one up, but they didn't. Last weekend, they had a fight card on Friday night and Saturday night. And they didn't show the Liam Smith-Mungia fight. They put it on BT Sport. I wasn't happy about that. They had an awful card on Friday and Saturday. And I'm the biggest Box Nation fan in the whole world. And this week, they're showing another fight card. I can't remember who's topping the bill. I think it's the Christopher Diaz fight, the uh, the top rank one. But they're not showing Mikey Garcia and Robert Easter Jr. I'm gutted. But anyway, like I say, the Staples Center... Mikey Garcia, 38-0, puts his WBC World Lightweight title on the line against the undefeated IBF World Champion Robert Easter Jr. Robert Easter Jr. was on this show last week. He's a very confident young man, a very tall guy as well in terms of the comparison of height. Eddie, he's a much taller guy, Robert Easter Jr., very confident, like I say, but Mikey Garcia is absolutely full of class. Um... It's a tough fight to pick, Eddie, to be completely honest. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Mikey Garcia by knockout, and I'm not I'm not saying it's going to be easy for him. I think he's going to probably struggle with the hype, but Mikey Garcia is such an animal, man. He really is. Um, who would you favor in that one? How do you see it unfolding? How much of a brilliant matchup is it? I think it's a really good matchup, man. I think, honestly, the contrast of size is almost as interesting as the contrast of style. I mean, Mikey's not that small at that weight, but 
when you see somebody as as lengthy as uh, Robert Easter Jr., man, it makes a it makes for a very interesting matchup. But um, the most interesting part of it is that Robert Easter Jr. is no <laughs> he's no runner to say the least. He's the kind of guy who likes to who likes to exchange and likes to get in there and fight, which is probably where the most danger comes in the fight for him. You know what I mean? It's probably one of his uh, his his heart and his uh, his confidence is probably two of the biggest strengths he has. But they could be um, probably this the uh, lead to his downfall, which actually makes it kind of an interesting situation. I mean, you know, if he gets like say he was going there and get dropped, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's going to get up with the same confidence and energy as long as he still is, you know, got his got his uh, wits about him. You know, he, he, I'm sure he's going to get up and try to fight with the same level of intensity as he fought before he got dropped with the same belief that he's going to win. But when I look at Mikey Garcia, he's just as solid as a rock in every aspect. You know what I mean? He's the kind of guy who, you know, may not be as flashy as some of the best fighters out there, but is just as good. And he's just as good because he sticks to the game plan. He sticks to the to, to what works. And if it doesn't work, he can, he can just as well. So he's, he's, he's the kind of guy who's going to be very, very difficult to beat. You know what I mean? He's he's got a great deal of confidence too, but he's also got a great deal of experience in dealing with top level fights and fighters. Um, I know Adrian Broner might not have been what he had been in the past, but he's still Adrian Broner and Mikey Garcia dismantled. And he didn't do it in a flashy manner. He did it in a workmanlike manner, and that's what's going to get you to the next level or keep you at the level or keep him at the level he's at and continue to ascend him to the top. Um, I'm looking at Robert Easter and some of the mistakes he makes. Like I said, you being his heart and his uh, and, and his um, um, confidence and determination and all those things are some of his biggest strengths, which lead to excitement. But um, with a guy like Mikey Garcia, who's a smart guy behind the jab, has great timing, sees mistakes, knows how to counter punch in the in, in the right and at the right time. This is going to be a very, very dangerous fight for, for Robert Easter. He's going to have to figure out a way to bottle all that up and turn it into something where maybe he can get on the outside and use some of that intensity and some of that confidence and some of that, uh, uh, you know, determination and all those things for something a little better. Maybe save that for maybe a time in a fight that he might need it and not coming out there guns blazing trying to trying to get a big knockout. I think – you know he's gonna have to he's gonna have to go in his bag. You know what I mean? He's gonna have to go into, you know, some of them amateur fights he had in the past. You know, some of those gym, some of those uh, uh, sparring sessions where you know you weren't exactly on top and trying to figure out a way to get through it. Because the way it looks to me is that if he does go in there like he normally does and like what I've seen, well, I haven't seen a whole lot of his fights, but the ones I've seen has been a lot of excitement. But if he goes in there with that kind of uh, that kind of game plan, you know, just go maybe without a game plan, maybe just going in there thinking I'm just going, you know, outshine this guy. He's going to be making a very big mistake. You know what I mean? He's going to have to he's going to have to stay behind the jab. He's going to have to use that five or foot eleven inch seventy six inch reach frame. You know what I mean? And 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 try to box to a victory at least in the first half of the fight, and then uh, see where things go. And then and after that. You can you can turn it up if you feel like you can, but he's gonna have to stay away from, uh, you know, stay. I don't say stay away from, but he's definitely got his ways. You have to stay away from trying to rush, because because Mikey's gonna see it coming from a mile away. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, but yeah, it's a brilliant fight, and and it's it's one I wish I wish it was on TV. I'm gonna have to find a stream somewhere. But yeah, I love the fact it's a unification. I love the fact that Mikey Garcia and Robert Easter are getting it on because Lomachenko and you know Linares and and those guys are kind of tied up. We've got Ray Beltran. He's you know like we said in the news part of the show, he's got a fight lined up, a real tough fight against Pedraza. So the lightweight division's really thriving at the moment. Um, Mikey Garcia. I mean, when he when he disappeared out of boxing for a few years with that promotional dispute he come back and before he had his first fight he said to me my best years are yet to come and he'd achieved so much at that point and I actually thought he's he's he must just be saying this to build you know to build himself up and it was completely um it was completely true he, he, he you know he, he really has become a brilliant fighter and he's he's recaptured his form it's unbelievable what a fighter but yeah I really I think I think he's gonna I think he's gonna win I think that um Robert Easter in his last fight he struggled with I've I forgot the guy's name unfortunately, but he struggled with a with a shorter guy who was good on the inside and um he certainly needs to establish that jab and, and keep his keep his legs moving like you say, Eddie. Um I'm going with a Garcia knockout. Ayaz has gone with Garcia on points and the listeners have gone with Garcia by knockout also. But yeah, a very intriguing fight. On the undercard, Fabian Maidana, the brother of Marcos, his record fifteen and oh, I think it's eleven by by knockout, he's in a ten-round fight against Andre Klimov, who's twenty and four. That's a brilliant, brilliant fight there. Um, also, Luis Ortiz, the heavyweight, the Cuban, twenty-eight and one. That one loss, of course, to Deontay Wilder. He takes on Razvan Kojanu, who's sixteen and three, a former opponent of Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker didn't look all that good against Kojanu. He got a lot of flack about that. Um, also on the undercard, Mario Barrios, 21 and 0. He's in a 10 rounder against Jose Roman, who's 24 and 2 with one draw. Mario Barrios was on, I think it was two weeks ago. I'd like to wish him all the very best in this fight here. Um, that's it for that, Bill. Moving over now to the fight that, well, the card that they're showing on Box Nation at the Kissimmee Civic Center in. In, in Florida, USA, it's going to be also shown on ESPN+. Plus. Um, not much to mention here, really. Christopher Diaz, 23-0, fights for the vacant WBO World Super Featherweight title. That's the belt that um, that got relinquished by Lomachenko when he moved up to lightweight. And he takes on Masayuki Ito, who's 23-1 with one draw. I've got to hold my hands up and say I don't know too much about either guy there. On the undercard, Carlos Adames, who's 14-0. He takes on Artemio Reyes, who's 25-2. Carlos Adames, a real good fighter from the Dominican Republic. I think he's the guy who's got, I think he's about 45 um, siblings. I think his dad is is a farmer with about six wives in in the Dominican Republic. A real busy man, of course. But yeah, Carlos Adames he beat Carlos Molina very well. So um, Adames has showed a few times he's a great, great boxer, a good amateur also. Very exciting for the future. But the final bill to mention, let's try and go through this as quick as possible, Eddie. It's happening at the O2 Arena. It's on pay-per-view here in the UK. A lot of people outraged that it's on pay-per-view. Um... On the undercard, Conor Ben, 12-0, he takes on a French guy called Cedric Paynaud. Now, Paynaud was a guy that fought Conor Ben. I think it was two fights ago for either man. They've both had a fight in the interim period. And they've both won their fights, I believe, both by knockout. But Conor Ben was down twice in the first round against this guy here, whose record now is 6-5 and five with three draws. Conor Ben, 12-0. And Conor Ben put him down twice. I think it was in... Um, I think it was... 
it was in separate rounds for sure. But anyway, Conor Ben was on was on the canvas twice in the very first round. He got up and actually managed to win. Uh, it was just the referee scoring it. Thankfully for him, um, he ended up winning a very very dodgy points win, which people were outraged about. Because for me, at least this guy deserved a draw. If not, he should have probably won Paynaud. But he was very unlucky, and the knockdowns meant everything for Conor Ben in the end. But yeah, that Conor Ben fight is actually for the vacant WBA Continental Welterweight title. I cannot believe that Conor Ben's done enough to fight for that belt. And certainly Cedric Paynaud has done enough to fight for that belt. I mean, boy, oh boy, that's quite unbelievable. Not that I care too much. I think that if fighters can fight for a belt, then why not? I mean, it's going to only progress them further. But I just can't understand what either of the guys have done to qualify to be in a position to fight for a belt like that. Frank Buglioni, 21-3 and three with one draw, takes on Emmanuel Fozo, who has a record of 10-7 and seven with two draws. Fozo... Um, I mean, he hasn't really, he hasn't really got a name on his resume too much. I mean, he lost to Stefan Hartel in his last fight in, in June of this year. Um, yeah, so not too much there. I believe Frank Buglioni will just bowl him over quite easily. Anthony Fowler, 6-0. The Olympian takes on Craig O'Brien, 8-0. That's an eight-rounder there. Craig O'Brien is the current... Irish national super welterweight champion, so that should be quite a decent fight there. Um, like I say, Nick Webb, twelve and zero with ten knockouts, takes on Dave Allen, your friend Eddie, thirteen and four with two draws. Now his most recent loss to Tony Yoka, where he actually got TKO'd in the tenth and final round. Very sad that he got TKO'd, to be honest. And like I say, on the news part, we mentioned Tony Yoka's now been banned. He's probably on all sorts of stuff, to be honest. Um, I'd love to see. Dave Allen win this fight, Eddie. I'm sure that you would too. The listeners have actually gone with a Dave Allen, um, a Dave Allen knockout, um, mm. but but I think it's a very it's a very it's a very tough ask to be honest. I think I'm going to probably go with. Oh, it's it's hard to say because Dave Allen's a a real tough guy, and Nick Webb is a guy that's like never really in great shape, but he punches really hard. So I'm not okay. sure if either guy could actually manage to go points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with Dave, he has the ability. He really does. And I know a lot of people are, you know, probably listening here and me say this and be like, well, where do you, where, how do you know this? Or what do you, you know what I mean? Of course, I've spent time around him, but I've actually seen it. He has the ability to be much better than he sometimes shows. And a lot of it is because, you know, sometimes it's conditioning, sometimes it's focus, you know what I mean? And I think you're a product of your, of, of, of your, uh, of your environment. You know what I mean? And, and if you just feel like, well, I've been able to get over, like the first time I've met him, you know, when I first seen him fight, he probably, I think he was training only for a couple of days a week. You know what I mean? And, and, the, and the fight he had, I mean, he stopped the guy, but he was barely in shape at all. And he even said it. And it was like, wow. You know what I mean? It's like a guy like this, you know, where I'm coming from and from, you know, the, the guys that I've been used to being around, I mean, everything was boxing. You know what I mean? That's all I did. That's all that me and my family did. So it's hard to believe to see somebody coming in, into a fight out of shape, especially with the ability that he has. You know, so, and I've actually seen him start to get himself in top-level shape, and that was when we were with Peter. And um, he actually was looking good. He looked great in the gym. He did good in his fights. It's just, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, other things uh, take precedence over boxing, and I guess that's one of these, I guess that's one of the situations that he's going through. And, you know, like you said, this may be the last one, and, 
you know, I don't know if I agree with that with him. You know, he still has more left in the tank that he can do. But I'm pretty sure if he gets away from it and sees that, you know, and start watching maybe the headway division to see where it goes, he's probably going to say, he's going to look back and say, maybe I should get involved in this again. Like a lot of the guys that I'm seeing, like Dimitrenko and a few other guys, are getting back involved because they see it's just so wide open. Yeah. Um, you know, Dave Allen, I've got to say, Eddie, I mean, he didn't have a great notice for the for the Tony Yoka fight, but he he had a, he had more notice than this fight here. I mean, Nick Webb hasn't had much notice either, but this fight literally got announced earlier this week. I think it was Monday of this week. So you know, he's really. I mean, he was scheduled to fight on Friday anyway, but he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna be fighting anybody of note. I mean, there was no opponent. He was just gonna be a journeyman. But this guy is an undefeated guy, twelve and zero with ten knockouts. He can really punch. And you know, in Dave Allen's last fight, what I'm saying, when he didn't have that much notice, but he had a few weeks, he actually showed up and he weighed two hundred and sixty pounds. And I'm guessing that after being knocked out in France. Um, and then coming back and probably, you know, taking a little taking a little bit of time off and then probably not being too happy with his boxing career to say he's only going to fight one more time and it's going to be against a journeyman. He's not going to really care how he goes out. I think he'd probably just bowl away a journeyman and he, he wouldn't really think about his weight too much. But he hasn't got much time to lose much, so I'm guessing he's going to probably weigh more than 260, which I think is, is shocking, to be honest. I mean, he shouldn't be anywhere near that weight. And, um, and you know, if he does come in too heavy, then unfortunately he's beaten himself, I think, before the first bell even, even rings. Do you, think, do you think that's quite accurate there? I hate to say it, but it is. And, but like it, and it just it troubles me because a friend of mine is somebody that, you know, I am really close to as, you know, from being over there. And I just, I look at what's going on with his career. I know he's, he's meant for so much better things than what he's been shown. You know what I mean? But he can't, he can't make someone do what you feel they can do, you know, they have to do it. And eventually he's going to grow up. He's going to understand that, you know, he missed some things and he still has plenty of time. He's still young. So it's not like he couldn't come back and make it and, and make another run at it. But as of now, until he gets himself really refocused, unless he gets a big win here, which would be nice. He's yeah. And he'll maybe sit it, sit it down for a while, maybe not forever, but for a while. And one thing that he does have on his side, um, you know, he certainly fought the much better opposition. Nick Webb hasn't really fought anybody, to be honest, anybody of note at all. Um, Dave Allen's fought the better opposition. But when when you look at the, the best wins, I mean, even though Dave Allen's fought these... these um, these 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 better guys. He hasn't beaten them, obviously. I mean, he's got the he's got the uh, the loss to Dillian White, the loss to Lewis Ortiz, the loss to Lemroy Thomas, and then the the loss most recently to Tony Yoka. So no shame in losing to those guys. They're all they're all good fighters. But um, when it comes to the best win, I'd probably say the best win on either guy's record. And this might sound quite funny, but <laughs> the best win is probably Jason Gavin. <laughs> you know, so um, <laughs> say it again. Why did you laugh so hard? Well, I, I don't know. I don't rate Jason Gavin all that much. Do you? No, no, I know. I understand. Yeah, so Jason Gavin's probably the best fighter on both of the guys' records. So uh, it could be quite interesting. I mean, Dave Allen has, has this week said that he can win this fight with his eyes closed. But um, we wish him all the very best. Also, I'd like to wish Nick Webb the best as well. He's been on the show before once or twice, a cool guy. 
Um, right, that's it for that one. Moving up the bill once again. Josh Buatzi, 6-0. He was supposed to be taking on Ricky Summers, but Ricky Summers pulled out. It's going to be for the vacant WBC International Light Heavyweight title, but he hasn't got an opponent yet, Josh Buatzi. Um, Katie Taylor, 9-0. She defends her IBF and WBA World Female Lightweight titles against Kimberly Connor, who has a record of 13-3 and with two draws. Katie Taylor also... Um, has a fight scheduled against um, one of one of the Serrano sisters later this year. But what I should say about Kimberly Connor, of her three losses, she's been knocked out once, and it was against Amanda Serrano, who is the sister of the future opponent for Katie Taylor. I hope that's not too um, confusing there. And also, what I will say, one of the losses on Kimberly Connor's record came to Victoria Bustos. She lost unanimously over 10 rounds to her and Bustos is Katie Taylor's last opponent um, Bustos obviously lost every round um, to Katie Taylor unanimously back in April of this year so a little bit confusing there but we have to say it um, and coming down to the last two fights now Eddie it's a you know it wasn't planned for you to be on the show but it's a brilliant week because obviously we had the cruiserweight World Boxing Super Series, the interest there earlier on to talk about. But here, two heavyweight fights that I want to come to you about. Derek Chisora, 28-8, and eight, takes on Carlos Takam, 35-4 and four with one draw. It's for the vacant WBA international heavyweight title. We've gone to the predictions. I'm going Takam on points. So are the listeners. So is Iaz. How do you see it, Eddie? At this point, I would do that. Uh, I, would, I would agree. In the past, I would take Chisora. In any fight with somebody his size that fights the way he fit Takam fights. No disrespect to, to, to Takam, but uh, Chizora is one of those relentless come-forward guys that then seems to never want to take a backward step. But that was in his best times, in his best days. I'm not sure exactly what he's going to bring to the table for this one, but I don't know if it'll be enough against Takam this time. I'm, I'm going to have to go with Takam as well by decision, though, because Chizora is still tough, but I'm just not 100% sure that he's going to be able to win this one. One thing I will say, I just want to point, I just want to put this out there. Um, I would not be surprised if Takam stopped Chisora. I know it would be a real big statement, but I would not be surprised. Yeah. I might look a complete idiot next week, but I'm just going to say I wouldn't be surprised. I think Takam's vastly underrated, to be honest, and, and a much bigger yeah, puncher yeah. than they give him credit for. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree with that. And I've seen Takam. I've seen what he's able to do, and I'm, you know, he's definitely. Uh, no one to sneeze at, but Chisora in the way he, he, you know, he's he's just one of those guys. You know, he, you have to beat him. And a guy like myself, with the skill that I bring to the table, would be able to do it. Would be able to do it in a different way. But I don't think someone coming forward with the head down. I don't know. In this era, and the guys I've seen, I just don't see it happening. However, you know, at this point, he's not where he used to be. You know, Takam definitely is still still a live guy. Why not? Yeah, I think Chisora at this point in his career, I think he's so he's so um he's so badly on the downhill slide now. I mean, the way he got beat by that guy Ajit Kabiel for the European title was just unbelievable. I mean, he, he completely lost easily to that guy, and that guy was relatively untested. He just kept moving, and he couldn't deal with the movement. I don't think Takam's much of a mover, but I think that I just think that I just think he'll win and and win on points, but. 
I, I just wouldn't be surprised about the stoppage. But the last fight to mention, a real brilliant fight, this one, Eddie. This is really what's what's kind of made it pay-per-view. I think it'd be quite cheeky trying to trying to charge money on a pay-per-view if this fight wasn't happening. Dillian White, 23-1. and one. Joseph Parker, 24-1. and one, The former WBO heavyweight world champion. Both men have lost to Anthony Joshua in their sole defeats. Joseph Parker lost on points. Of course, we know that Dillian White got knocked out. It is for the vacant WBO international heavyweight title and also Dillian White's WBC silver heavyweight title. But more than that, the winner of this fight is right at the top of the WBC rankings and certainly in line for a crack at Deontay Wilder in the near future, for sure. This is a really, really good fight. Tough one to pick, really. I mean, I would like to see Dillian, you know, being that I know him and, and being that I do believe in what he can do. And he has improved vastly over... Over his uh, over time of his career, his professional career, uh, he used to be you know, when I first seen him and I first you know met him, he was more of a swing wildly, try to take your head off with every shot kind of guy, and he's actually grounded into a pretty decent boxer. However, still a little bit tight on his uh, you know up high on his feet, a little bit you know what I mean, a little bit uh, stiff leg at times. And um, I think the difference in the fight will be who can uh, figure it out as far as boxing is concerned. I mean. Of course, they're both capable of throwing big punches, and I think maybe uh, Joseph Parker's definitely a, I want to say a little more seasoned, a little more um, creative, a little you know a little bit of a slicker boxer. And, and when I mean by slicker boxer, I mean just more boxing savvy. You know what I mean? Skill levels maybe a tad higher. I'm not saying a whole lot higher, but uh, Dillian's very confident, and that's a huge, huge thing. He's very confident. He's also he's also got a, a very very good. Uh, Good uh, array of punches. He throws. He throws everything, and he throws everything with intent. Um, he's actually developed a decent jab, and he tries to and he tries to box when he can. You know what I mean? When you watch him fight Lucas Brown. Obviously, he had to. You know what I mean? And it was pretty. Uh, and he it made it, honestly, it made him look great. You know, it made him look really good. You know, fighting Lucas Brown in the way Lucas Brown fights. So, um, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case here with Parker. I'm pretty sure with Joseph Parker, you're going to see uh, a big, a much bigger struggle when it comes to the boxing aspect of it and um, what Joseph Parker is able to do, you know what I mean? Offensively, uh, I think will dictate to what actually happens as far as, um, you know, if Dillian comes to him and, and I think that that would be a little bit of a, a mistake, maybe just going right to him, following right into what, what he wants. I think Dillian needs to, at least for the first half of the fight, at least for the first few rounds, at least see where, you know, maybe, maybe not rush into things, you know what I mean? Maybe take your time, maybe the, you know, stick the jab out there, put the jab in his face, kind of see what's uh, what's available. You know what I mean? And then if, uh, you know, depending on what Joseph Parker counters with and what he's able to do, handle it accordingly. But um, both fighters, it's a very interesting fight. Both fighters bring a lot to the table. They're both very proud, very confident guys. Uh, I'm just looking forward to the fight. But as it stands, I would love to see Dillian win, and I, and I would hope that he will. But I'm not 100% sure. So, you know, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to say one way or the other. Kind of sucks that I would have to bet against him, but I'm gonna go with Dylan. I'm just gonna go with him on this one. I feel like he's on the upswing. You know what I mean? He's done. He's been doing some good things in his last few fights. I think he's gonna be fine. Yeah, very, very interesting fight to say the least. I can't really see mm-hmm. either man being stopped. I think he's certainly got points written all over it, despite both men being, I mean, relative knockout artists, really. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, the the one thing White keeps talking about is this this hunger. He keeps saying to Joseph, like, you're set for life now. You've got loads of money, but I'm still climbing the ladder kind of thing. I think that's an important aspect, really. I think that um, Dillian White has really improved since that Joshua fight. And Joseph Parker, obviously, um, coming off that loss, it would be very hard, especially the fact that he's travelled again to the UK, where, to be honest, he hasn't travelled really well. I mean, when he came over here and fought Huey Fury, it was a very questionable win for him. When he came over here and fought um, Anthony Joshua, he, he lost pretty clearly, and he hasn't really travelled well. And obviously, against a very confident man like you highlighted, Eddie, in Dillian White, I think it's a, it's, it just makes for a... It adds a few spices to the pan, if you like. But I'm going to go with a Parker win on points, even though I think he will struggle to get a decision. I just think he's a more rounded fighter, and I just I just think he's he's probably got Dillian White's number. I think I think Dillian White won't be able to outsmart him, and I think that um, Parker's got a brilliant gas tank. I think that Parker throws too many shots for 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 Dillian White. I think he'll set a, a very fast tempo as he normally does. I, even though I think Parker's going to try to move a bit. I think when they do exchange, I think Parker will probably come off better just simply down to the fact that he throws, um, you know, more shots and the fact that he's very accurate as well, Joseph Parker. He doesn't waste a lot. And whenever he gets hit with a shot, he comes back with about four or five of his own. So he, he, he's got that kind of um, that thing about him where he, he's got the eye-catching work a lot of the time when, when the exchanges do happen. So, um, you know, it all, it all adds to a to a very interesting fight, and I'll certainly be tuning in. Um, but yeah, I think it's a brilliant fight. Like I say, I can't really see either man being stopped. I think it goes points. I think Joseph Parker will do well to get the decision, but I just think I just think he'll do it. Um, but yeah, a very intriguing fight, and credit to both men for taking it, especially Dillian White, who's really in a, a very high position. He's he's really knocking on the door for a title shot himself, and he's risking it all against Joseph Parker. Hopefully, both men are going to get paid well. I'm sure they will. But um, you know, he's he's really risking it all, Dillian White. He's got a lot to lose, and Joseph Parker's in a position where he doesn't have much to lose. He's just lost his world title, and he he was really out of options. What what did he do next? I mean, he's back in New Zealand what's he going to do he's 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 you know he's much more well known for fighting on Sky Box Office against Joshua but without a title he's a little bit of a kind of who needs to fight this guy now he's a good fighter but who needs him and to to bounce straight back in a in a in another pay-per-view fight two back-to-back pay-per-views in the UK it's the best thing that could happen to him so he's in a place where he needs this fight and Dillian White doesn't really need it so it could end up backfiring on him but a brilliant intriguing fight but that really wraps up the preview in Eddie. So we've done the the, the, the part one. We brought you the, the first guest and the reviewing. We've talked about the latest news. We've talked about the preview in here. Just before we wrap up part two, it's time to welcome our second guest. But just before I do that, it's time to say goodbye to you, Eddie. Thank you so much once again for stepping in for IAS. You've done it many, many times. And it's just always a pleasure talking boxing with you or anything in general. Um, I appreciate you, man. Uh, thank you for having me on and trusting me to you know, do any kind of job. Maybe not a great one, but to do any kind of job to help you out with this here show, man. But I enjoy it. And, you know, I, the best part of it, I can work from home. You know what I mean? That's real nice. <laughs> Listen, Eddie, thanks once. The best part is I'll be able to talk to my friends and then and also be able to talk boxing. So it's real nice. Thank you so much, Eddie. Thank you so much. But yeah, like I say, just before we wrap up part two, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former super lightweight world title challenger, Mr. Hank Lundy. Hank, welcome back on the show, my friend. 
It's always my pleasure, Hank, it truly is. So, of course, we last spoke quite a long time ago, actually. June 2017 was when we last spoke. Uh, it was the week of your fight against Daniel Evangelista. Um, of course, you ended up winning that fight by knockout in the fifth round. You've had one fight since then. It was in February of this year against the former world champion, Demarcus Corley. You won that fight Pretty much, pretty much every round you won, you you dropped him in the fourth round as well. Do you just want to give us a sentence or two on both of those fights just before we move on, Hank? Oh man, you know, um, I was coming back from, um, you know, fighting at lightweight. Man, I felt good, you know, and I'm ready. You know what I mean? To um, challenge for the WBC Silver World Title. And of course, your next fight, you know, it's going to be against, um, it's going to be against Zor Abdalaev, I believe it said, a Russian fighter with a record of nine and oh, six of those wins quick. He's ten years your junior, and of course, the fight's happening in Russia on August the nineteenth. Firstly, Hank, have you seen much footage on this guy? Do you know much about him at all? Yes, um, I watched the tapes of him, you know, but at the end of the day, I leave it to my coaches. You know, to sit on a game plan and break break the guy down and get him out of there. You know, I've seen all I have to watch on him, and I know I will be victorious. And my whole thing about this fight, to not have him standing in the 12th round. Yeah, because, of course, the last time you traveled to Europe for a fight, it was five years ago. You fought in Ukraine. You came up short against Victor Postel in a very, very close fight. I was going to ask you, do, right. you believe, do you believe that that experience will help you in this one here? Oh, well, most definitely. You know, at the end of the day, man, you know, experience is everything, you know. Um, the fight, the type of fights that I fought, this guy hasn't been in, in them type of fights. He fought a lot of journeymen, you know. So at the end of the day, I'm well prepared. I've been in there with the best, you know, and I'm ready to fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's very true. And, of course, as you said, the, the, you know, this fight's going to be for the WBC Silver lightweight title. A win here would certainly open a lot of doors for you, Hank. Oh, most definitely. You know, at the end of the day, it's tough that I might be fighting um, Robert Easter and Mikey Garcia after this fight. So, you know, um, we ready, you know, to go in there, handle business, and move on to bigger and better things. But we, we must take now i want to ask you this question obviously it's a little bit of a negative note i guess obviously anything can happen in a fight and you know to go over there and to to come back with an l would be a real hard pill to swallow you do have to think about that just just in the back of your brain i'm sure hank um what would the situation be if that were to happen where would you go from there it'd be a very tough thing to recover well, from. I, I put it like this you know at the end of the day you know, when Hank Lundy's in a fight, you know, everybody looks at it, you know, get get the world streams, you know, and follow it. I would not hang my head, you know, at the end of the day, man. You know, I ain't got the shortest stick, you know what I mean? Fighting fighters, you know, in their hometown came up short, you know, due to robberies. I could say I only had two losses on my career. That was against um, Terrence Crawford, you know, and um, John Molina, where I played around. The rest of the, the fights were robbery jobs. So I look at myself as, you know, 32 and something, you know, with two losses, you know. At, at the end of the day, this would not be the end for me. And I'm not even talking like I'm going over there to lose because I'm not. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And as you just mentioned briefly, this weekend, Mikey Garcia puts his WBC title on the line. Robert Easter Jr. puts his IBF title on the line. Who wins that one in your opinion, Hank? Um, I've been in the ring with Robert... 
I met with Mikey Gar I met not with Mike Garcia, with Robert Easton, I'm sorry. You know, if he used his height, you know, and his range, I see Robert Easton winning the fight. But if he get caught up, you know, and on the big height with Mikey Garcia, you know, then he he can lack confidence and lose the fight. But all in reality, if Robert Easton stand tall and use his jab and box this guy, and when Mikey Garcia come to come in and drop the bomb on him, I got Robert Easton. But if Robert Easton does, doesn't do that, Mikey Garcia, Mike Garcia steals the fight. And um, obviously, you mentioned also that down the line, you will eventually fight the winner of that fight there. Um, I don't know if you've got a close relationship with Robert Easter or not, but is that is that a fight that can still happen if Robert Easter were to become victorious? Who would you prefer to fight? Uh, you know, I've been chasing Mikey Garcia for years, and Mikey Garcia is the man to beat. Um, Robert Easter, I can tell the truth, he got beat in two fights, and the guy got the decision. So he's still a champ at the end of the day, but I see a lot of, you know, chanks in his armor. Um... I just want the best one, you know, whoever becomes victorious, that's the one I want. And since we last spoke, Ray Beltran has managed to become a world champion at lightweight. His next fight's just been announced. It's going to be against Jose Pedraza. That's a real tough fight in my opinion. But obviously, you and Beltran have got some history. He ended up beating you again. Majority decision, you know, a very controversial one to say the least. Is that a rematch that you want to chase for the future as well? I know it's the WBO and not the WBC, but still. Oh, uh, listen, I'm, I'm good with every, you know, body sanction, you know, every belt sanction, but... At the end of the day, to speak on that, too, you know, um, I beat, you know, Beltran, and they took the fight away from me. You know, Joe Tessitore, you know, um, Zad Judah was at the fight, and that was a fight I beat, too. You know, at the end of the day, you know, um, it was previous fight that he hadn't had. Nobody wanted to fight him. Hammer and Hank said, he'll fight him, and they turned me down. You know, I'm a fighter that nobody wants to fight, man. You know, I'm rugged. I'm tough. I can box. I can brawl. I can do it all at the end of the day. I'm a guy that they want to stay away from. You know, they want to keep a guy like me out, but they can't because every time they try, I'm going to pop back up and I'm going to come victorious and I'm going to demand my state at the world title and I'm going to win one. And I remember having you on the show previously, Hank, and at the time, I think you you and Adrian Broner perhaps had a bit of a problem. Then you guys were cool again. Then you had a problem again. I just wanted to ask, is there any other boxers right now that's in your bad books? <laughs> oh, well, listen, I still think, you know, me and Adrian Broner would be a good fight. The guy don't want to fight me, man. He know what I bring to the table at the end of the day, man. Most of these guys, especially at 135, would not fight me. You see what these guys do. They want me to come up to 140 because they feel as though they got a big weight advantage. But I can tell you, at the end of the day, man, I'm the man. You know what I mean? Especially at 135, I can't be beat. You know, in the right fights at 140, I can win them too, you know. But at 135, I will be world champ at 135. Mark my words, man. And like I say, there's so many doors that are just about to open for you should you win this fight. You've got the personality and, you know, you're a very likable guy. I do want to see you on that big stage. Just before we let you go, Hank, I just really wanted to give you an opportunity to say anything you like. Maybe I, maybe I haven't asked you something that you wanted me to ask you. Just say anything you like before we let you go, my friend. Oh, uh, well, I tell you, man, you know, at the end of the day, you can't never count Hammer and Hank out, you know. They may be saying, oh, Hank Lundy, I'm old. One thing about it, I'm far from old. I'm still, you know what I mean, a young buck in this game. You know, I learned a lot. 
You know, um, I'm willing to fight anybody that's out there. You know, stop running from me, man. You know, I'm at 135, the right fight at 140. We we here and we ready to fight. You know, stop running from me, man. Strap up, man. Let's get it, man. Like I tell people, scare money don't make no money. Hang on, you don't run from nobody. Let's get it, man. Stop running, y'all. Okay, listen, Hank, very well said, my friend. It's always my pleasure. Whenever we catch up, it truly is always my pleasure. I want to wish you the absolute best of luck for August the 19th in, in Russia, and we'll certainly catch up sometime after when you've got that WBC silver title around that waist. Oh, thank you. Most definitely, man. Thanks for having me on the show. You know, and I guarantee I'm not taking this, you know, 10-hour flight to come up, you know, empty-handed. I'm laying it all on the line like Hammer and Hank does. And I will become victorious. Okay, and this wraps up episode 145 of the Box Hard Podcast. You've been listening to the vocals of myself, Joey Coastman, and the former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Eddie Chambers. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, Hank Lundy. There's never a dull moment with him. And also a massive thank you to Jack Catterall, the undefeated future superstar potentially the prediction league currently stands at myself on 49 points i as on 51 points and you the listeners on 52 points another four points are up for grabs this weekend best of luck to everybody involved there just to clarify i've picked takam on points webb by knockout parker on points and garcia by knockout you've all gone with parker on points takam on points garcia by knockout and dave allen by knockout and i as finally has gone with dillian white on points garcia on points, Takam on points, and Dave Allen on points. All points for Ayaz. The biggest thank you of all goes out to you, the listeners. There is one more piece of news right before um, we, we end the show. Just before the purse bids were actually scheduled to start, Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn unbelievably, miraculously have agreed terms for Billy Joe Saunders to defend his world middleweight title against Demetrius Andrade. All we do know at this stage is that the fight will be taking place in the USA. Billy will have to go on the road twice in a row now, obviously Lemieux at um, the the back end of last year, but what a brilliant, brilliant fight that's going to be. But that is really all. If you do enjoy our show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we'll see you all next week.